93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace. Since warmer weather is almost here, let's make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials. I love the new outdoor dining table and chairs I just bought. It looks great in my backyard, and it's the perfect setup for hosting a dinner party. Go to liveouter.com slash thefounderhour to see all the incredible products they have to offer. For a limited time, get 10% off and free shipping. That's liveouter.com slash thefounderhour. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder, if you enjoy what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at The Founder Hour. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of The Founder Hour. Today, we have a true visionary in our midst. She's not just a businesswoman, she's a fashion icon, a design guru, and a powerhouse in the world of retail. Join us in welcoming Kim Gold. Kim's journey began with co-founding True Religion, a brand that transformed the denim industry, bringing style and authenticity to the forefront. But she didn't stop there. Kim's entrepreneurial spirit led her to create Style Union Home, where fashion meets home decor, redefining the way we live. In this episode, we'll unravel Kim's incredible story, her resilience in the face of challenges, and the invaluable lessons she's learned. Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or just passionate about fashion and design, Kim's insights and experiences are sure to inspire you. So without further ado, let's dive into this captivating conversation with Kim Gold. Kim, it's it's a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, and we just can't thank you enough for having us in your beautiful home today. And uh, we're just excited to learn all about, you know, your upbringing and everything you've been through your career and what you're up to now. And so taking it way back, um, I think I saw you were born in California. Uh, around where did you grow up and, and what was young Kim like? Uh, well, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Nice meeting you guys. Welcome to my home. Um, I grew up in Malibu, California. Um, I'm an identical triplet. Mm. I have two brothers. Um, and young Kim is pretty much who Kim is today. Very ambitious. Can't tell me what to do. I'm going to think outside of the box no matter what. And I think back then, I mean, I'm 57. So back then, it was a lot more difficult for girls to be bosses and CEOs and get paid what we deserve. And And as a woman, it's constantly paving paving the path yeah. for for women. Was there anyone you looked up to like as a role model? Oh, like the Gloria Steinmans of the world and the the um young uh trailblazer women that made the paths for us and I feel that's part of who I am today is uh setting those well, letting go of boundaries for women and you know that we can basically rule the world. Yeah. Kim, you're the first triplet we've had on the show. Um, what was it like growing up with two identical siblings? You know, I'm usually the only triplet that most people have on a show, um, or identical triplet. You know, I think being a triplet was really interesting. I believe that because my parents raised us to be individuals, um, people didn't think of us as individuals. So, 
My sisters are amazing. We're identical. Um, it made me work harder to be an individual. Mm-hmm. Did you feel as though you had to go beyond who you were and almost, I don't want to call it inauthentic, but like almost an extreme version of yourself? I think anybody who is constantly compared to two other people have that innate quality mm-hmm. to go over and above to find out who you are, not be clumped right. into. How did that reveal itself? Like, what, what I mean, what were you like as a result of that mindset? You know, it's interesting. I'm, um, we used to do commercials and we did a lot of things that were probably expected of people who are twins or triplets and, right. Uh, child labor laws at the, at, at, in that time. I think it's revealed itself of who I am as a true entrepreneur and my sisters are, but my path just took a different route in where I am mm-hmm. as far as business. Right. Yeah. What did, what did your parents do for a living? And, and was this, was there someone in your family or immediate circle that were entrepreneurs that you looked at that were like, oh, they started a business and I want to do that too, maybe one day. Well, my, I have a stepfather and a real father who both are attorneys who went to law school together. My mom was a psychologist and my stepmom does um, cancer research. She's part of the cancer research uh, at Cedars. So I come from a very academic mm-hmm. background. And when I said I was going to go into fashion, the only person who supported me was my mom. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was married to Mark Burnett. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my dad and my stepmom said, oh, you, ha- you guys will not be successful right. if you go into the fashion business at the time. And, and had I- Mark like kind of gotten his career going at the time? Like was it, was, was Shark Tank around? Like were those, no, not yet. <laughs> no, Mark Burnett was working for me. Yeah. Um, on the boardwalk, um, Mark and I met when I was very young. We're still very good friends now, but Mark always had that DNA chip of "fuck it, I'm doing this." You know? Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said it, so there we go. Well, you can always bleep it. I say it a lot. I don't really care. <laughs> um, but I think that that when you meet people that are like minded, they're going to do what it takes. To get it done, I have a model. Um, I say, not looking for a no, I'm looking for a yes. Yeah. Do you have a process for seeking those types of people out and you know becoming friends with them? And 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 what is that? Because I think it's something that a lot of ambitious people probably have in common. Is like, how do I find more ambitious people to be friends with, and and where do I find them? So what's what's your kind of process for that? You know, it's interesting. The people I seek out are the people who I like to mentor. Mm. I find that's very gratifying. I find that there's a lot of young people, especially young women, who don't have mentors. And it feels that it's my plight in life to pay it forward when you are successful. I mean, it's really easy to hang out with people who are successful. Yeah. Were you always into fashion growing up? Oh my God. Yes. I have always been into fashion. I was the one that went to all of the 
um, swap meets and I'd buy the stuff, put it together. I'd put it at the end of my bed when I was done at the other day, at the end of the day, my sisters would wear it. Um, I would deconstruct anything and everything to make it, you know, something that I liked. Mm -hmm. What's your earliest memory of being interested in fashion? Where'd it come from? God, my earliest memory was taking my great-grandmother's scarves and my mom's stuff for her jewelry, her bags, and making it my own, which would be really an eclectic style, but um, I think a Jewish girl with a lot of tattoos. Would your mom just show up and just be like, what'd you do to my bag? <laughs> <laughs> Who took my bag? It's got to be Kim. Um, I think it's just something you're born with. It's like like people who are extreme uh, athletes or something. It's just something you're born with. Yeah. And so, and and it was pretty clear early on that this is what I want to do for, for my career, my life, is is go down this fashion path. Absolutely. I think that that for me, it was a very early age when somebody said to me, my stepdad said to me, no one's going to buy a house, $5 million house from you, or nobody's going to, you know, just real negative stuff. And I said, guess what? I got my real estate license. I started companies, um, probably at this point, three or four companies, sold most of them. And I like the the feeling of being my own boss and not having anybody tell me what I can and can't do, what I can and can't buy. Yeah. So there's a lot of people, I would say, that have a very similar mindset of, I want to be my own boss or I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own company. I don't want people telling me what to do. But there's more people that don't end up doing it or they end up doing it and not succeeding versus those like yourself and the people that have been on our podcast for the most part that have actually succeeded, right? And even some of the people that have been on our podcast have eventually not succeeded, you know, looking back now six years. What 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 was your mindset like when you just said, I'm just going to do it? Was there a process involved or was just, let's just see what happens. Let's just make things happen and wherever it goes, it goes. You know, I think the the misnomer of a lot of people is um, I'm doing this to make money. I'm doing right. this to be famous. I'm doing this for anything, the actual reason, mm -hmm. which is passion. And I use that word a lot because if you don't have the passion to get up every morning and have people, employees, CFOs, COOs, people on your team not rallying together, not doing what it takes, if I don't have that passion, then no one else is. Right. So, listen, it is no easy feat to do what we do to run a business. Right. And just to play devil's advocate here, don't you think that passion is sort of a luxury? I mean, if you can't wake up every day and think about your passion without making money, right? Where you're zero dollars in the bank account or negative in the bank account, how does that play a role? Because I think there's a lot of people. I mean, we just try to be real on this podcast because there's people listening that are like, oh yeah, entrepreneurship is easy. I could just I have a passion for wood. Let me be like a you know builder. Like it shouldn't be that simple. What do you say to that? Or how, I mean, how does that play a role? The the having to make money aspect of entrepreneurship. You know, it's funny. I got the chills. You can see them yeah. while you're talking because no one knows this other than. It's in a book that I, I'm not promoting the book. I'm just saying. <laughs> what is the book though? I want to know. It's called Gold Standard. Gold Standard. 
people don't know that I had three little kids, basically from started at 26 to 31 when I had three kids. We lost our home because we put all of our money into True Religion Brand Jeans, my now ex-husband, who was the co-founder. Um, we were basically living in a hotel and we put all of our money on our credit cards to start this company. Now, it could have been easier to not do it. Right. With three kids, going to trade shows, putting our own money. I mean, $250,000 in debt and lost our home. Yeah, it's a lot. So I say passion because that's been my experience. Right. Um, I have worked for two other people in my life while I was raising kids and starting True Religion. Um, but I worked to make money. And I worked on doing trade shows and making true religion, um, you know, a reality. Mm, yeah. And just to walk through your sort of mental process, let's say, you know, you decide I have a passion for fashion. Um, what, <laughs> what's, what's the next step? Like, how do you decide what's going to be a business and what's not? Cause you know, some people can say I have a passion for music, but they're not, they don't have musical talent and they're like, what do I do? You know, maybe I'll go on the management side or something like that. But what is like, I guess the first step is deciding or figuring out, which actually is not always easy is like, what is my passion? Like, what do I actually enjoy doing and want to do on a day-to-day -day basis? But then there comes the next step of like, how do I make this my life uh, and, and make it a career? You know, what I do tell to creatives is um, know your business, okay? Because there's two sides of a brain, right? You got your creative side, you got your analytical side. Usually creatives don't have the analytical side and the business side and the um, fortitude because we don't use that side of our brain to understand costs what it takes, how much money I'm spending, your mission statement, everything it takes. So I think, I'm not saying you have to get a degree if you're creative. What I'm saying is know everything about your business. Because if you say you're an entrepreneur, no, you're going to use your own money because you have to. I don't think an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur if you're not investing in yourself. Because if you're looking for investors, they want to know if you're investing in yourself, right. they want to invest in yourself. It's really in my experience. And I only speak from my experience. But I think that people know that it's going to take a while that you're going to get a lot of no's. Not looking for a no, looking for a yes. That yes will come because I don't think hard work get, ever gets unnoticed. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, get as much knowledge as you possibly can so, peop so you know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where did the idea, you mentioned true, true religion, um, I don't think that was your first company, if I'm not mistaken, is it? Or what? No. What was the first company before we go into True Religion? My goodness. I had a company called Bella Doll, mm -hmm. which I sold. It's still around. Um, then I had a company called Hippie, which um, there was a dispute with the people that we were in business with. That happens. Do not go into business with friends, <laughs> husbands. <laughs> I always say that. Um, and then we started True Religion. Um, but before Bella Doll, there was a company called Kimberly Suits You, which was on the boardwalk, and I was making like literally 50 grand a month mm -hmm. doing boardwalks, doing, I mean, the boardwalk in Venice Beach, doing um, college 
um, quads going downtown, gaining their damages for $5 and selling them for 20, doing swap meets. And at that point, um, I was getting my real estate license and then I was buying buildings. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So at that point, did you feel like, you know, this is, this is my way of paying my dues to get into fashion or did you feel like I'm just going to go into real estate and I'm doing this on the side because it's my passion? I think anything that you do, as my mom used to say, um, she's a therapist, she was a therapist. So it means a lot when I say this, wherever you go leads you to where you're supposed to be. So whether you do law whether you do real estate, whether you build homes, whether you produce documentaries, which I do, which whether you do ceramics or clothing, it's all intertwined. It's business. Mm -hmm. It could just be a different medium. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But the more knowledge you have will lead you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. So um, kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Well, I guess were you, when you first started Bell Doll and, and Hippie Jeans, was it Hippie Jeans was yeah. the name? Uh, I think it was around the time you started True Religion, right? It was like 2002-ish? 2001, 2002, um, yeah. Were you already like in your into your real estate career at that point? or? So the real estate was something like I know somebody who's sitting here gets a law degree. I got a real estate like just to get the knowledge. Got it, got it. Um, but I did buy buildings and sort of mm-hmm. still do and have fun with it. Um, I I... It seems like a blur because it all happens so fast. It's like my ex-husband used to call me a tornado. If you don't get into her tornado, she'll spit you out, which is true. Mm-hmm. So one business after another, raising kids, being in debt, um, being homeless, which I say homeless because we didn't have a home with three kids. We were in a hotel. Um, but true religion was something that started out of our garage with my ex-husband. He was in fabric sales I knew fashion, I knew business. And I said, are you, and he lost his job Mm. with three kids. So while I was working, he was taking care of the kids, um, smoking a lot of pot. Yeah. (laughs) Which is sometimes where the best ideas come from. It could be. (laughs) No, but I think so. Because he went like this. True religion. It was (laughs) from a tuna, you know, hot tuna song. And that's where, that's our true religion, Kim. And I, that's where it came from. Wow. I don't smoke pot, so I was going to ask about the name. So it was just sim- as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, I I'm Jewish and I believe in Buddhism, and and so the Buddha with playing guitar because that's how yeah. the whole thing sort of came together. And the horseshoe design. The horseshoe is a funny story. My ex-husband, I don't even want to get into that. It was yeah. from Lucky Brand, and he yeah. liked the horseshoe it was upside down, upside down smile, and it. it wasn't something that I was f- so fond of, but you know, <laughs> just stuck. And, and, and was the goal to start a jeans company? That was the goal. I mean, yeah. Bella Doll was all knits. I'm right. a my my actual passion was knits, high end mm-hmm. knits. That's when Juicy started, and I was doing Bella Doll. Um, but I'm also a jeans girl. Yeah. I mean, Levi's is like yeah. you know the mother of all denim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but. I wanted to make denim not casual Friday denim. I wanted right. it to be sexy, wear it out, make a statement. And so it was such an arduous process getting them made. I mean, it was like the seams and, and it was a very technical gene. Right. So people don't really know the tedious 
nature of making a very technical gene. Yeah. I feel like denim is one of these one of those things where it kind of ebbs and flows. Like, it, you know, it's like we in the 90s, we had like denim on denim and then, you know, it kind of went away and then it kind of came back. And uh, I'm curious at that time, what was like the market like? I mean, were there a lot of denim brands? And if there were, what like how did you think that you would sort of position True Religion to be successful? Very good question. No, <laughs> it's a really, really good question because... When I talk about passion, I also throw in what's not out there, what I don't see, what I want to wear, what my girlfriends want to wear, what my demographic of girls want to wear, and it wasn't out there. So um, there was seven at the time, and I think that was it. It's like the Fergie seven song. Seven for all mankind. Seven, what is, what seven is, for all mankind. What does Fergie say? I don't True know. religion. Don't yeah, Fergie, that's yeah. right. Yeah, let's, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. A, that was a, that was that was. Was Paige shit. out yet? Paige, so Paige, lovely Paige, she was my fit model for a while before, sure. after wow. I um, stopped being the fit model because yeah. my husband said I was too big. Yeah. Like, do you see how small I am? <laughs> Very small. It's small fun. person. So we've had Paige on the podcast now. Whatever, oh, Paige two is or awesome. Three years ago, a while ago. But I remember when we went. We both went to USC. But I took a fashion class, and I was the only guy there. Um, so you know, you know why I took that class. But um, of course, you did. You know, You're I wasn't, smart man. I wasn't a fashion icon or anything. Still, I'm not smart man. But Paige came, and they talked about how she was a fit model, and I was like, I. I don't know what that means. And they said, well, she had the perfect butt. And so all the jeans at the time or whoever was designing fashion or good jeans would use her as the fit model. Well, what's interesting is I actually, the demographic of women that I wanted to fit, I started with the JLo's of the world, the yeah. Beyonce's, yeah. women who were curvier because listen, skinny girls can wear anything. Mm. True story. More women, options. Sorry? They have more options. To well, with. they really do. And, and, and back in the day, I think that, you know, again, technical. So it's lower in the front, higher in the back. It's, it's a, um, you know, uh, the way they do the, the inseams and the knee opening and the leg opening and the kabai, all of it, very technical. I'm not going to go into it, but makes the woman look the best that she can look, no matter what size. And I think a demographic of women now are being more served that demographic of right. women, which is most of America. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, when you first get it going, what is like, you said you're, you're sort of kind of just starting out of your garage. Um, you're just kind of getting materials, putting it together. Who are you selling to? And, and when does it kind of start feeling like this is becoming a real business? So it doesn't feel like a real business for a while, um, other than we started with men's because I think that if you start with a men's brand, then women will wear them. If you start with a woman's brand, oftentimes men are like, I'm not wearing the same jeans that women are wearing. Yeah. Women are wearing. So we started with men's and it was like all the girls were wearing the first boyfriend jeans. So <laughs> it was, it just started with one jean. And I think that when at the time, because I was in fashion for a while, I would, I sent 13 jeans to then the Fred Siegel's uh, in Santa Monica, and it just snowballed. 
and I just would give them to people and, and talk to the, um, which is a lost art now. You go into retail <laughs> yeah. stores and you talk to the girls and you give them an education and you give them to them. And so they're, they feel like there's a connection. Um, it's a really, it's a lost art, which is brick and mortar, which is sort of sad because it was so fun to go in and try stuff on and, and be a part of the looking at people try stuff on and go out of the store and buy them. So I think it'll come back because direct to consumer is going to get crushed. Do you think so? I think so. The margins don't make sense. Too, man, too much money on advertising. Right, but then you have to pay for brick and mortar. You have to pay for for employees. You have to right. pay for a lot of right. things that you're not doing direct yeah. to consumer. I think there's going to be some sort of a convergence there of how that's done. And I think, I mean, this is a completely topic. I hope so. But I think I think real real estate will play a factor into that with the last mile showroom slash. You know, it'll be more of a showroom model. Not to mention, you know, direct sort of communication with your customer and like that brand loyalty yeah. of like, I walked into a store and I had a great experience and I sometimes I even met the founder there and spoke to them and, and now I'm a customer for life. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, with the new company I have, Style Union Home, I have a retail in front. Yeah. I like to listen to what people have to say. Mm -hmm. I think the lost art of that too is education for right. the designer and owner and founder of the company. Why do you like it? What can I do better? Right. I mean, when we started with True Religion, it was all about the butt. It was the size of the pocket. It was what to make, you know, yeah. talking to, and I've spoken to JLo and Beyonce and people like that, well, what they liked and what was missing. And I think part of the success of True Religion was that it fits so many right. different sizes. See, but I think about a brand like True Religion, right? And if we were today, right? If you launched True Religion today, um, there's so much noise online, right? To stand out the amount of capital that you have to invest into it versus let me go into different retailers, let me go on the street, let me go talk to people. The more grassroots, I think long-term, again, and I don't know, I don't have the answers to everything, but I think long-term is a lot more sustainable than you know, going just direct to consumer online only and then launching. And then again, it's just, I think it's going to come down to a lot of the capital versus how human nature works because humans will be adaptable, right? Like, I mean, we had the pandemic and we were adaptable. Then we came out and now retail is the hottest it's been. So I think it's just very cyclical. But I think, you know, when I think about a true religion brand, how do you just buy that online? Unless somebody's told you, you have to try this on, you know, you've, got a curvy body, this is going to fit your body. You know, you've got to go see it. You've got to go try it on. I could not agree with you yeah. more. I mean, I was going to say that that, that word cyclical, because yeah. you were talking about genes at the time. And yeah. Yeah. Everything is cyclical. Right. But for me, um, the the fun part of retail was, was guerrilla marketing, going into the stores. Right. But I think it's going to be both. Mm -hmm. It's going to be both. Um. I started with, we have 250 retailers now. We've only been in business a little over two years with Style Union Home. Mm -hmm. That was really hard to sell online. Right. And it wasn't even online. It was, um, we did live Instagrams and we, I had to learn so many new adjectives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say amazing, gorgeous, stunning, looks fantastic. And I had to learn, uh, my lexicon became a whole new, um, it's a you vibe. Know, this life. is a vibe. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's a vibe, yeah. you know. Um, but I think that the pandemic also changed the way we think and, act. Think and communicate and, and interact. Yeah. 
Yeah. So with True Religion, was there like a breakout moment or was it kind of a slow initial kind of growth until, you know, it was kind of, you know, everywhere? There was a couple breakout moments when Usher and Fergie, Usher Ward on the Grammys, I personally brought him to his house. And then uh, Fergie, that happened. And then um, Vegas uh, Magic Trade Show happened for like the second or third time. And it was like, I couldn't believe my fucking eyes. I went down to the, to the trade show and it was like there was a line mm. of people, mm-hmm. of vendors, of customers. Right. I was like, this can't be happening. They're not at our booth. So there's this aha moment where you absolutely can't believe it. Yeah. And so was there like a long-term plan of, of where you kind of wanted to take the company or was it like, we're just going to, you know, keep coming out with new designs as we see fit type of thing? Well, I think what happened was it went public very quickly. And for me, eventually that was the, um, something that it was just really difficult for me to be uh, creative as the vice president, as the largest shareholder of a company and an all-male board of directors, I didn't sign up for that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I sold my shares and walked away with, you know, nice sum of money. But I, like I said, I wake up every morning wanting to live my life not just for money. It's not about that. My passion is design starting companies, and if I'm not happy, then why should I stay? Why'd you guys decide to go public then? It was a great way. You know, Bethany Frankel asked me that question. She said, well, my company is, you know, I'm doing $150 million. Why hasn't anybody approached me? Well, at the- you're in your pajamas interviewing me, because, Bethany. No, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. Bethany, ah, oh, Bethany. <laughs> you save yourself from yourself. I'm sorry. Her whole thing that she's doing right now on- um, Blasting, hating Bravo. Mm. Don't hate the people who elevated you. Don't do it. Uh, That's my pet peeve. So I had to say that. Don't do it. Um, Like my ex-husband, not a fan, but he's brilliant in fabric. Mm -hmm. He was a great partner at the time. You know, you got to give kudos where where it's deserved. Um, Why'd you go public? Great way to fund a company. Mm. Great way to fund a company. Mm -hmm. And it was... I'd never been part of a public company. Right. It was a great education. Could you give us like a highlight for those listening that don't know what that looks like? What, how do you raise that money? So it's an interesting, it doesn't happen often. In this right. particular instance, these people approached us who, who, who um, built shells for a company that started at five cents OTC. Once you get to seven, then you get to ring the bell. Um, and the people who did it, I mean, it was so fast. I was just learning. So I wasn't even sure. I was, it was like Martha Stewart was just going into jail and you couldn't talk about it. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever you say. Yeah. Um, I knew what not to say from the SEC and right. you don't say anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Don't tell anybody anything. So um, at the time, my husband and I were like, this is a great way. Here's 250000 bonus. We'll fund the company. We'll sell shares. And it'll be a great way to to build this company. And I think when you get shareholders and people who buy stock, you become increasingly wealthy on paper. Right. 
doesn't mean you're wealthy. There's no cash. No, and when we sold the company close to a billion at the time, we were half a million dollars cash flush. I mean, we were- Half a million. Half a, we had money in the bank. Yeah. I mean, we were opening up half a million or half a billion. Half a million. Half a million. Just a, but but that but companies don't have half a million dollars right sitting just in a cash, bank. Yeah, cash capital sitting. It was just money. We managed it really right. well. We were audited every quarter. Right. We uh, ran it very cleanly. You know, when it comes to legal help, I'm tired of hidden fees and complex billing structures. Isn't there a better way? Well, that's exactly what Decrypted Law offers. They're pioneers in transparent flat fee pricing for startups. And guess what? They even have a subscription service for fractionalized general counsel. Subscription service for a law firm? That's right. Decrypted Law is revolutionizing the way legal services are consumed. For a flat monthly fee, startups can now have access to top-tier on-demand legal counsel. Wow, that's a game changer. No more bill shock, just clear, predictable costs. Decrypted Law, they're not just breaking down legal complexities, they're making legal services more accessible. Learn more and contact them at decryptedlaw.com. Mention the founder of our podcast so they know who sent you. Love soda? Listen up. Introducing Olipop, a new kind of soda that's actually good for you. It's the fastest growing beverage brand in America, and here's why you'll love it too. Gut health matters, and Olipop has your back. Two out of three Americans suffer from digestive issues, and Olipop tackles that with a soda that tastes amazing. With nine grams of prebiotics in every can, it's the gut-friendly choice you've been waiting for. Now let's talk flavors. Vintage Cola, Classic Root Beer, my favorite, Orange Squeeze, Classic Grape, and more. It takes me back to those childhood days. And guess what? Olipop has way less sugar than traditional sodas. Vintage Cola only has 2 grams of sugar compared to the 39 grams of sugar in a regular Coca-Cola. Pretty impressive, huh? But it doesn't stop there. Olipop's drinks are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly, with less than 8 grams of net carbs per can. They've got something for everyone. Ready to give Olipop a try? The Founder Hour listeners can get 20% off their next order with the code FOUNDER20, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-20. Head to their website, www.drinkolipop.com, or find Olipop in over 22,000 stores nationwide. The biggest fortunes aren't made on Wall Street. They're made way before startups hit the stock market. Consider Mike Walsh, a name just like any of ours who invested $5,000 into Uber. And that investment money, it grew to a staggering $24,827,400. Such opportunities were once behind closed doors, reserved for those with connections and vast fortunes. But that's no more. Start Engine is tearing down those exclusivity walls and making startup investments accessible to you and me. With Howard Marks, co-founder of the gaming giant Activision at the helm, Start Engine and its 1.7 million users have fueled startups with over $1.1 billion. This is no longer just an investment platform, but an investing revolution. And it gets better. They're inviting you to be a part of their journey. With just $500, you can join their live fundraising round and own shares of this revolutionary company. Click the link in the episode description and jump on board before their investment round wraps up. You know, it's interesting when, um, and I, I feel like I haven't seen too many people who are like creatives who are at the helm of their company that go public and survive like that, that whole process. Cause 
once you go public, I feel like, I mean, you can speak to this obviously more, but um, there's a whole different kind of set of, you know, things that you have to think about. And it's not, 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 no longer just like, let me just wake up and do whatever I feel like doing that day. Uh, what was it like for you? And I, I'm, you, you mentioned earlier, like it didn't work out too well. No, I think that again, then I was back in a situation where men were telling me what I can and can't do. Like, this is what we're releasing. You're not doing this. You're, you're yeah. This Steven Tyler came and they were like, wanted to do t-shirts for Steven Tyler. Uh, guys, why? Love you, Steven. Great guy. But they wanted the, the guys on the board wanted to say, we're working with Steven Tyler. We get to go on the privates and go to Vegas and get right. to do this and right. hang out with Steven Tyler. So for me, I was in a public company is a whole separate company. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you are so beholden to your shareholders, which is awesome. And I'm not, I don't suggest it if you don't have the wherewithal to know that you're running two companies. And being told what you can and can't do. I mean, I was the vice president of women's designing, um, opening up 300 stores. So ahead of a lot of stuff and whilst well, trying to raise three amazing boys. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't happening anymore. And I, I, I wasn't happening anymore. And I wasn't doing myself any favors um, by being there. I hope you said dream on to that board when they asked about Steven Tyler's shirts. <laughs> I just, I just, it was in my mind that I had just to release it or else it was going to be in my dreams tonight. No, well, you know well, what? You didn't miss a thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, subsequently, <laughs> he, he played at my house in Malibu and I was uh, with Marianne Williamson. We, we, we did a fundraiser. Is that the one who ran for president? Yes. Yeah. And he was at that, with Shaka Khan, he was yeah. there. And I was like, do you remember? He's like, why didn't we ever do t-shirts? I'm like, fuck off. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm on yeah. the, you know, we built a stage for you and I'm yeah. on the piano seat with him. And, you know, yeah. everything is- shirts. <laughs> Come on, Steven. Um, Run DMC, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you bring up, you know, you were raising three boys. How, how did you manage your time? I mean, building a company, nonetheless, a public company, it's, it's difficult on its own, you know being married, you know, having a husband, right? Having a spouse. And then obviously on top of that, three kids that they need attention. There's no, there's no choice, right? Like they have to be raised somehow. They have to be fed. They have to be taken to school, right? There's so many things that you have to do. How were you guys managing that process or that, that, that part of your life? It's really interesting. I, I've said this a gazillion times and I will say it till the day I die. They are my biggest accomplishment. Because when you are there, take, you take them to school, you're home for dinner. And when you're there, there was no phones, no TVs. You could see I don't, I don't have TVs downstairs. or mm -hmm. I, We have one TV in this house. I have one over there, actually, I'm lying. But we don't use it. But you have to be present because kids know that it's not the quantity, it's the quality of time. Mm -hmm. And I'm best friends with my boys. They're 26, 29, and 30. We're best friends. Mm. So you manage it. There is a way. If there is a will, it's a priority. It's a priority. Mm. Yeah. Just to sort of wrap up the true religion sort of era of your life, um, I th think I saw it wasn't like too much after you left that the company ended up like going through bankruptcy and all that kind of stuff. Do you, I mean, you can kind of brag here, but do you think it's because you were the creative and left and weren't kind of directing the creative strategy yeah pat on the back yeah well i i've been told by the board of directors um we wish you hadn't left i mean it's on record yeah. i feel that in any company okay when the sole 
designer, founder leaves a company, it changes. It just does. I've been asked quite a few times to come back by the CEOs, and there's been a lot of changing of the guards there, but they didn't change the women's side for a really long time. Women's always sells better than men's. And I think the ego of my ex-husband was like, fuck her, I'm doing this. And I've said this to his face, it is anything I wouldn't say. Yeah. I've never talked behind anybody's back. I'm going to say something to you, I'm going to say it to you. Yeah. Um, and subsequently have been said, have been told, we made a mistake. And they just kind of stuck to their sort of flagship products that they had and didn't really come out with anything innovative. Yeah. I mean, I consulted and I tried to give my perspective, but um, egos play a big part when companies are acquired and new people come in and think, you know, um, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, for, for perfect example, left the company, came back and changed it yeah. because he was the visionary, visionary founder. Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously had made a good sum of money at the time, and even though that wasn't what you were pursuing, did you know or did you care what was next after you left True Religion? Because, I mean, you were still very young. Your boys were young, still young. What was, I always care what's next. Yeah, so what, 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 what were you going to do? <laughs> Shit. Well, I did Home Shopping Network okay. uh, for the experience. That was fun. And when you say you Not. did it, you mean like sold products on there? Yeah. That was fun. Uh, I produced uh, some documentaries. I built homes. I started other companies. I started a company called Baba Cool. Um, and really, you know, the only thing that money does, you know, people, oh, she's so full of shit, whatever money, you don't know, she's got this much money. I'm telling you I am the same person I was. I just am able to make different choices. Right. Yeah. It's just, I feel like you can kind of, I feel it's great to remain the same person because maybe a lot of people lose themselves in that process. But it's also like thinking about the opposite of like, if I didn't have enough money to do the things that I love or want to do every day, what would life look like? And thinking from that perspective, it's like, oh, wow. I mean, anyways, just a thought. No, but. well, well, I, I think it, I've seen it change people. I think what happens when you become really successful, um, it's the people around you that change. Yeah. I've had this conversation with lots of people, especially Kevin Hart. Kevin goes, how many attorneys do you have on? <laughs> you know, and Kevin's, I'm like, I don't. I'm very, you do not know who I am. I'm not out there. I'm behind the scenes. Um, I like to be able to employ a lot of people, especially my company now, uh, artisans who are getting paid really well to do what they love to do. Yeah. So I don't need to be out there. Mm -hmm. No, because then you're a target. Why do you think the people around you change? Um, well, before I met my now husband, Marlon, when I was in Malibu, there was a lot of people around that are hanger honors and feel like, oh, it's this big house in Malibu. What can we do? We'll go to Nobu. She'll take it. Right. She'll buy it. We're on the private. So I got rid of... All of that. I got rid of the Bentleys, the, the house. I got rid of all of it. One car, one house. Mm. And there's no out there. You put yourself out there and then people want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. But did that mean that you had to change yourself so that others around you won't take advantage or won't, you know, want to be a part of whatever that lifestyle that they desired was? 
Yes, I had to be very, I'd have to have my antennas up. I mean, if I could tell you the things that have happened, it's horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I'm curious, were your parents around or are they still around and did they see the success of True Religion? Yes, my mom is no longer around. Um, So sad about that because she was my biggest supporter, but the the psychologist. Um, I think I have five brothers and two sisters, okay? And being the one most successful changes the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Why should you be in the will if you have so much? Right. This is what my dad has said to me. Why are we paying for your dinner? You have so much. Uh, you know, a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And okay. Coming from the parents who said I would never make anything of myself. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to them anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't get to choose your parents, but you can choose if you talk to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you these days choose who you surround yourself with? Like, let's say you meet someone new. You're like, I want that person to be like my friend or someone that I see often. Like, is that, I mean, like, because I, I feel like, I don't know. I wonder if there are certain signs. No, it's, it's <laughs> almost like, you know, you see a lot of A-list celebrities marrying A-list celebrities. You see a lot of C-list celebrities marrying C-list. You know, I wonder if it's like this like league thing of like, you know, maybe they're kind of on a similar life path level. Level seems so shallow, but like level that I don't have to worry uh, that they're, you know, my friend or they're with me for money or vice versa. It's like, you know what I mean? Oh, I've been to a lot of those parties <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and those people, and I've, and I've had talks with my husband about this, about people who I'm at these parties, we're at Craig's, we're here. And I'm like, I don't like those people. Yeah, I like the person who invited me, but I don't like those people. Sorry to say, mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know over a period of time who's your friend and who's your not. And especially, I don't tell people who I am. The, what people say is, oh, there's this girl, she's full of tattoos. They don't know who I am. And then somebody will say she's, you know, this woman from True Religion or started, what founded, co-founded, and then they become my friends. So there's your indicator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bullshit. Yeah. And it's so obvious sometimes. So fucking obvious. It's like, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. Do you know? And because of the experiences that I've had in the past that people have really fucked me over, you just go, Oh, I know what to look for now. Yeah. But it's not gonna change my heart. It's not gonna change me. I just know who to hang out with and who not to. Right. Yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, and I'm not specifically talking about your situation with your family and, you know, the lack of communication there, but it it sucks that somebody's success leads to all these relationships that don't end up working out, whether it's friends, family, spouse, whatever it may be, because of really money. I mean, that's really all it is. It's not fame. It's not success. It's it's the money. Like you can be not not famous and have a lot of money, right? Which is a lot a lot more people than are famous. I mean, if you had to look back, what would you have or what would they have to have done differently for there to still be some sort of a relationship. I mean, it, it just sucks that that's the reality now. Of course, we're not trying to necessarily change it, but for those that maybe are in a similar position or will become in a similar position and they're like, well, I don't want to lose my brother or I don't want to lose my friends because I'm going to become some successful person. What can be done? How does that dynamic, how can you 
fix that dynamic before it's broken? Yeah, I. That's a really good question because yeah. I think in a lot of relationships, spouses and and money is the key. Of uh, they say it's finances and sex in relationships and finances if it's not intimate. Yeah. I think it's if somebody doesn't have the same amount of money or if somebody doesn't get, do something. I'm telling you, it's the little things. Go pick up and make me dinner. Mm. Buy me a card. Bring me flowers. Be supportive. Don't be jealous. Be supportive. Supportive right. is like the number one thing. So if I was- Is a non-successful person. Yeah. Or non-financially successful yeah. person. I mean, mm. I, I use that- Make it a symbiotic, like recip- recip- reciprocal relationship. 100% reciprocal. Yeah. That's all That's that's right. all I've ever wanted. right. right. Yeah, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I, I just think about that. Not that I'm anywhere near financially successful, but you think about that, and you and you know you hear about you know it's lonely at the top, right? Like you hear that phrase versus oh, you know the middle class or the lower class, like you know they're hanging out. I've had this conversation with a lot of people of my friends used to like me more when I was not rich, and versus when I was rich or when I am rich, because I know that when they're coming to me, there's something that they want. Before it was they just like to hang out with me. I mean, as a successful person, you know, sitting across from you, how do you deal with that? Because, I mean, mentally, you're like, fuck, you know, I did the right things. Like, I went out, I built a business, I got lucky, I got successful, it was great timing, whatever. But I'm the same person. I'm, I didn't change. I just have a lot more money. Like, why does that, I mean, like, I don't know, it's just, it's so hard to put it into a question or put it into no, words. No, I, I, I get what you're get saying what because saying? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I've had people say to me, you don't even know what, uh, you know, a carton of milk costs. Well, maybe I don't, but that doesn't mean That's I have to- That's because I'm a vegan. But yeah. <laughs> Almond milk. Yeah, you don't even know go. what the yeah. oat milk costs. <laughs> go get the oat milk from yeah. Air One. Yeah. And I only go to Air One because I make a half a million dollars a day. Yeah. And that's the only way I can- uh, you know, afford Air One. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, the, this is a really good topic because I think that, I think that I do everything. I do, I never ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do. Take out the trash at work. I've got somebody here who works with me in my office and knows how important it is for me to be supportive. But I just want people to be reciprocal. I pay you really well. You're my friend. I treat you really well. You're my husband. You know, we support each other. If you're not, you know, working on a TV series right now, how can you be reciprocal? It's all about that fucking shit. Be reciprocal. Right. Yeah. That's all it is. So if you're an asshole before you made money and you're, you're going to be an asshole. After. Because yeah. it's in there. Or if you weren't an asshole, you may be an <laughs> asshole because you got money. I don't think money is anything is as powerful for me as my relationships. Because I'll tell you something, success is not going to hug me at night, okay? It's not going to give me a high five when I get a sale, like I got chills. It's my kids. It's the memories. I'm telling you, people go, oh, that's so altruistic. It's true. It's fucking true. My kids call me every day and tell me I love me. You think I'm going to... They always say to me, most importantly... You know what, mom? Your eulogy is going to be amazing. <laughs> that's all I care about. Yeah, that's great. And all the yeah. money that I have in the bank goes to them. You know, it's interesting because 
I've, again, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, and we've had similar. And what do most of them say? It's, it's say what you anything? say. It's what you say. Okay, right? It's you know that you know that money doesn't matter, right? That's the sum, summarized version of it. And I always tell my counter to that is it's easy to say that because you have the money. That's right? not true. I know. Yeah. And, and so versus somebody who hasn't made it yet and is like, hey, I want to get to that point where I could make money and then say the same thing to the next generation. So what's the happy medium? Right, like that's what I think of is because most people are not going to get to a level of uber success, right? But they could get to the happy medium, which is I am comfortable. I'm I've worked hard. I've reached a place where money doesn't matter. Like for me, like my definition of wealth is and always has been. I could walk in if I like something, I'm going to buy it, right? Like it's not that's how a much, good happy medium. Yeah, it's a good happy medium. That's a great. Yeah, go, I don't what, know how much it costs. It could be ten dollars. It could be ten thousand dollars. I'm going to buy it because I like it. That's but a Depends on what you're walking into. Depends where you're walking into, right? But it depends on where you're walking. So if you walk into Style Union Home, I'm just like, I just want to buy this, 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 and we're good to go. Well, okay, so it's really funny because I always say that, I have, that I've had the same people in my life for a really long time. And one of the things they always say is, the only thing that I've ever, I just want to go private. Right. Because it's like the one thing. Yeah. It's not so much what I can buy and what I can't buy. I want to be able to have that autonomy where I could get on a plane and 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 do that. That's like the one thing. Yeah. That's not a happy medium. I don't know. Right. But it depends on what that is. Right. I don't go private anymore because of it seems a little too much. Yeah. But they have this service at LAX. It's called PS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have and a friend that works there. It's the best fucking service. <laughs> and you save so much money and they're so amazing. They yeah. take you on the plane, on the tarmac, and you go right up there. Amazing. It's amazing. That's a brilliant business. Brilliant. The best businesses are the ones that nobody think of. Because when you knock somebody off who's already done a business, you're the second. You want to be first to be first, not first to be second. That's another one. You want to be first to be first, not first to be second. That's another one. Is that in the gold standard? Yeah. There we go. You have to be first to be first, not first to be second. It's Mm kind of like people who choose casting directors or, you know, people who do R&D for, for music. It's like, be the first person to take a risk. Right. Choose that person. Do that business. It's going to be a little more difficult. It may be a little bit longer. Completely went off track here, but okay. anyway. No, that's a good point. I mean, there's definitely arguments to be had about, like, you know, in, in business they call it, like, the first mover advantage and the second mover advantage. You know, the first mover kind of creates a category and and could dominate but like you know there are examples like the googles of the world that came like were seventh and eighth when it came to search engines but they just did it better than everybody else right so but i think that i agree with you like there's a lot of it's not even like capturing a market because the market doesn't even exist yet when you create something that's Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it because you're kind of the the first the trailblazer Yeah, yeah 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 um so anyways, I think, uh, so So, Style Union Home, I think I saw you started it, it kind of in the middle of the pandemic? Uh, the beginning? The beginning of the pandemic. The very, very, so before very before it beginning. even happened. Like, yeah. Like, so what happened? Yeah, like how did that December. Come? December of 20, 2019. D- d- yeah. Wow. So like, what inspired that and how did, what happened? Like when we were getting it off and then COVID happens, what happens? Well, I started it out of my home. And it started because um, um, I have a lot of um, pieces that my mom would always have Sunday night dinners. And these pieces just have memories. And people don't think of, you know, what they eat on is as important as what they're eating for me, okay? Because it's all about family. And my son, um, Dylan, my youngest, for Mother's Day and my birthday, which basically fall on the same day. um, So you have Pat's birthday? 
I'm on May I'm May 12th. So I'm couple, May 13th, yeah. Friday oh. the 13th. Amazing. Or one oh, day. so you're a Taurus. I'm, yeah, I am a Taurus. That's why I like Couldn't you. Couldn't tell? I like you too. But <laughs> I'm in May too, but I'm not a Taurus. Oh, so you're a, you're a, a, a Gemini. Gemini. I still like now you. Now like you like me less. No, I still like you. I still like you. No, I like you guys both. You're awesome. Um, and I said, I was building homes and I was thinking, God, you know, when you stage homes and you probably know, well, you will know this, you kind of know this, it's, it's could be somewhat of an arduous process finding the stager and yeah. it always looks like yeah. Meredith Bear, always looks like the same house. And it's like CB2. It's like CB2 West meets Elm. West Elm meets Home Depot. Not Home Depot. <laughs> home, home uh, what is there's this? Restoration Hardware? Well, I like Restoration. No, it's just IKEA. Could be. <laughs> yeah. But it 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 doesn't because, you know, 70% So unoriginal. So unoriginal yeah. and 70% of the buy of a home is emotional and then right. they want to buy everything in the house. Right. So I was building homes. This one home in in scene um Studio City. Um I thought how do I do this? I'm doing pottery. Oh, I know. I could do this. I could do home goods. It's like fashion. It's like producing. It's like building homes. It's like I said earlier, I'm very consistent, by the way. Everything is everything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just a different medium. Business is business, right. no matter what. So I started this business and it's home. And who knew that it was going to be the pandemic? And then I thought, fuck, what am I going to do? So I, I didn't have any photographers. I had maybe two potters. I was on the wheel. I was like, what am I going to do? My son and my husband said, well, why can't you just have a hobby? I said, you don't know me very well. Well, I would think the pandemic, everyone's home, right? So they're maybe like even thinking more about what they're right. doing. But at home. nobody was thinking no stores were going to be open. Right, right. I didn't have photographers to do. This was like early on. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, just okay. And then you got to stay home and I don't have right. people. And then I've, what am I going to do? And then I did my own website and <laughs> I had kilns that weren't being delivered. And we, and it was just like, okay, I just did it. And we're in over 250 retailers within a vi two and a half years. What are some of the retailers? I'm sure. Oh my God. Oh are, like boy. Some of the Amber, inter Amber Interiors, uh, Lulu in Georgia, Parachute, um, Wild Blue that have like three or four stores mm -hmm. in like Aspen and mm -hmm. New York. And, um, I do, I have a couple restaurants. We do, I mean, the retailers are very high end, right. um, interior designer type of, we do some really mm -hmm. great collabs with Jet Links, the private, uh, yeah. air. Yeah. Yeah. Jet company I was yeah. using. <laughs> <laughs> are you still, are these all homemade? Or are, are they all like handmade? Excuse me, not homemade, handmade. Everything is handmade. Yeah. I have about, I don't know, 10 in-house potters. I have oh. outside potters. I've recently gone to Thailand. I'm going to be going to Portugal because in order for me to scale and have my company acquired, I don't want somebody to have the headache to, it has to, in order for it to scale, it's got to be offshore. Right. I hate to say that, but it is yeah. true story. What, what you just said is interesting. You said uh, to scale and to be acquired. Do you always, well, maybe now these days, do you start with kind of the end game in mind? Of Always. Like, yeah. So you're not just starting a business to just start a business. You're, you're starting a business because you obviously want to do it and you love it, but you think long-term of like, could, is this something that someone would want to buy someday? Well, I'm, I'm putting a, a deck together right now for financial, uh, you know, for funding because I put all my money in it right now. And I think that if anybody, and yes, to answer your question, 
um, fellow Taurus. Yeah. Um, great question. Is if people know me, they know that if they want to invest in something that I'm doing, that I will get it acquired yeah. because I've laid the foundation. I've put the money in. I've hired the people. I've done Style Union Home is a company that people have tried to do, but it cannot be done. Mm. You're taking artists and pieces by hand and then scaling it. Okay. And it's my legacy. This will be my legacy. It's my last fucking hurrah. Yeah. I'm not sure if you just mentioned it earlier. I might have missed it. But when you say scale, uh, how does that, how do you envision that happening when you want it to be handmade? Is it just a matter of hiring more potters? Or do you see like, you know, everyone's talking about the robot revolution in AI and all these things. Um, the scaling for me means um, when you do hospitality, when you because I can't make a, lo- a good portion of what I make in LA, yeah, at a cost-effective manner and with those margins. I have payroll tax, I have medical insurance, I have rent. Mm-hmm. It costs about a minimum, and I'll just be transparent. It's like yeah. one hundred twenty thousand dollars a month to run my company. Yeah, you got to do two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month in sales just almost break even. So, you know, if you have somebody who wants to come in and, and acquire, they want a certain amount of gross margins and they want to know that they can make it in a timely manner, mm-hmm. you know, um, from lighting to, to dishes for, you know, um, I don't know, all the W's, hotels in the world or right. whatever it is. Um, I do collabs now and we're going, we're doing, I do really well with my menorahs. And we're doing a collab with uh, Crate and Barrel. It's their first flagship that's going luxury in New Mm. York. So you want to hand off a company or get acquired by when all of this is done. There's no thinking. It's, Mm. oh, I can scale it and I can make, you know, I can sell it for, I can sell it for 30 million and they ultimately could sell it for 100, 200 million. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you sound like you've started businesses before. <laughs> For yeah, sure. so if I we mean, know anybody who wants to about. invest and yeah, wants yeah, yeah. to ride the, the, the you know, I, I own it 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So uh, kind of looking forward, what is what is the next, kind of the foreseeable future look like, not just in business, but in life? Like, are there other things that you want to accomplish, you want to do that maybe you haven't had a chance to do yet? I want to live in another country. Mm. I'm going to Portugal. I want to probably buy something there and I want to be like work here and, you know, be in both places. Hmm. Have you decided why Portugal? Is it just because of the work aspect of it? or Probably the work aspect. And they're very inviting to Americans. They want to give work visas. They want to, uh, they're very accepting of people starting mm-hmm. businesses there. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't speak Portuguese. I do speak Spanish fluently, but I don't speak Portuguese. Yeah. Lisbon? Lisbon? Uh, probably Lisbon. Yeah. yeah. I'll probably work in Lisbon or something and maybe buy a place by the ocean. I don't know. I, I feel like I know like a good handful, at least of uh, people personally that are like born in America, raised in America, but moved to Lisbon. It's just I, like, I, yeah. <laughs> what, so I better yeah. go before it becomes way too trendy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. no, it's just, I mean, Lisbon is one of the examples, but just so many places um, in Europe, South America, like so many places that, like you said, are very welcoming and that kind of sucks like for us like in americans like in america but at the same time it's kind of cool to i think have different experiences like that and like do you think do you, do you think that would be like a long-term thing for you or you just feel like doing it now and see oh what? i'll probably do it very soon i yeah. mean if i i'm probably going to portugal in october 
and I'm always looking. I mean, I just, I get kind of bored easily, so obviously. So you're building Style Union Home, you're investing in building your own homes. Um, Do you do anything else, like fun? Or is this your fun? (laughs) This is fun. I love to read. Uh, And I love to go out for sushi, and I love my kids, and I have a grandchild. So that's my fun. What's your favorite sushi restaurant in LA? Well, Matsuhisha. Uh Not Nobu. Uh Matsuhisha. Specifically, yeah. Specifically. And Asanobu up the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. in Sherman Oaks or Studio City? That's Studio City. That's on Ventura, right up the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun when you go into a restaurant and the waiters and the waitresses and know they, they know you and they're like, hi. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's actually the, it's called Sushi Row, right? Uh, Ventura. That's the. Is it sushi? I, yes, yeah. it yeah. is. It's the I most. Think, yeah, most outside it's Japan. The, it's the most sushi restaurants in, in, in a small kind of area, like dead, per capita. Per capita. <laughs> I didn't uh, know that. You guys Japan. should have somebody. My my really good friend Lisa Hesloff, who's married to Grant Hesloff, big producer. Mm-hmm. You know uh, George Clooney's. She's doing a documentary on uh, cancel culture. Mm, good. Um, but the story behind that is she introduced me to Asanebu, and there's a plaque that says George Clooney and uh, Grant Hesloff. So I'm looking to get my plaque, <laughs> <black>, my <laughs> restaurant. So when I go in, I could go into my little table and it'll say Kim Fucking Gold. <laughs> I love that. Kim, this has been such a fun conversation and uh, you thank know, we can't you. thank you enough for being here and sharing it with us, but thank you so much. Thank you guys. You guys are fantastic. Thank you. Yeah.